in our minds, we've pushed and steered each restaurant to become relevant because the minute you become irrelevant, you're dead. There's always going to be new restaurants and there's always going to be competition. And if you don't, um, if you don't change and if you don't um, adapt to the market, then, then you're dead. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Building a restaurant brand with multiple venues can take decades and comes with many hurdles. The tight balancing act of pleasing diners, getting the offering right for the location and ensuring not only long-term viability, but maintaining the brand's identity and the standards that you wanted to set. But those that get it right not only create fulfilling careers, but become an important contributor to the Australian culinary landscape. Nick Hildebrandt is a co-owner of the Bentley Restaurant Group. Nick, how are you going? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Good. You've got five venues now, all very different. You start, started with Bentley, you've got Cirrus, Yellow, and you recently moved Monopole to the city and then put Rhea um, Pizza and wine in its place. Um, so much, so many pieces to the jigsaw puzzle moving around. But what spawned that sort of move? Uh, the the movement of last year. I mean, last year the movement of Monopole into the city and the birth of Ria was um, sort of conceived probably back in two thousand nineteen. It was, um, yeah, it was. We had found this site in the city in the CBD, um, right in Australia Square, which had beautiful natural light, all the windows opened up and um, once you're in the room, it was like a really um, great, um, you know, feeling you had. It felt like you were in um, New York or, or somewhere like that, sort of over, overlooking one of the one of those big squares. And um, we, uh, we wanted to do it way back in 2019. We actually signed um, a lease um, around about then and we were about to hit the go button on um, on everything, and then the um, pandemic hit. Uh, so that sort of stopped us in our tracks. Uh, the landlord there was pretty motivated, and uh, we, um, after a long deliberation, we decided it was the best thing to do. Um, we believed that there was light at the end of the tunnel and uh, that, uh, you know, that people come back into the city and the um you know we'd get on top of the the pandemic and um you know we'd we'd, we'd move monopole and city and it would be you know a huge success and you know we sort of we're still sticking by that and um you know we opened in november and and it was absolutely pumping heaving um it was it was really good it was really positive signs early on and um and yeah, it's been it's been pretty good um, ever since. You know, every time there's an outbreak, um, and you get some kind of partial lockdown in the city, people panic a bit, which is um, fair and reasonable. Uh, and uh, you know, you, it sort of it sort of goes up and down. But um, we're sort of into February now, and um, and we're, we're we're pretty busy there. And we we definitely believe it's the right decision. Uh, you know, just walking in the CBD today and yesterday. It's really quite busy now. There's there are a lot of people around, um, and uh, you know there's a lot of outsiders saying, "Oh, but nobody the CBD's dead, and there's nobody in the CBD." It's like, yeah, that's that's actually not true. There's there's a there's a heap of people around. It's almost 
back to pre-COVID levels. It's definitely the busiest been um, since um, you know for over a year, um, which is which is positive to see. And um, you know, there's the seats of traffic about. Um, so yeah, the CBD is starting to buzz again, which is really really promising. Um, and we can see that down at um, Cirrus and um, and even at Bentley, which has been um, uh, you know pretty 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 um, solid. We've been doing um, you know reasonable covers. But there's been no corporate market for the last year. Now we're sort of starting to see uh, corporate bookings dropping in, and people inquire about acquiring about um, having events and so on and so forth. So people are sort of, I feel like people are actually, um, you know, proactive and wanting to sort of get on with things and 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 um, and, and move forward, which is which is good. And then um, Ria was always a. Um, you know, a, a thought that we would have, um, you know, it's like, why isn't there, you know, a, a pizza place in in Potts Point? There's sort of down down towards our end anyway, um, and like a modern pizza place doing, you know, doing, you know, um, trying trying to be, you know, do things with um, interesting in dough and um, and and you know, interesting toppings and and so on. So we had thought about that for for years, and um, it seemed like the natural thing to do uh and um yeah we you know a lot of research went into the into the dough and into um the kind of um place we want it to be a lot of research including <laughs> eating eating around and uh and um going to you know sort of every pizza place in sydney and then um you know we wanted to do something uh which was sort of our, our style and brent style and um and we we sort of have yeah done that up there and you know it's been that's been a you know so far so good it's been um been been pretty good it's only a small venue um so it has its limitations but um but we're happy with the result so far so yeah it's uh it's been a um, interesting, interesting twelve months. That's just to say the least. Monopole um, made an amazing name for itself and was really one of the first sort of modern wine bars that you see many of now in in Sydney. Was it difficult? Was it a difficult decision to move it from from its home because people travelled to Monopole? It wasn't just a neighbourhood um, venue. Um, no, not not really. It was a bit like when we moved Bentley into the um, CBD all those years ago. So Bentley started in two thousand and six, and then we moved into the CBD in two thousand and thirteen. So similar um, time frames, about seven or eight years into it, and we just felt like it was the next logical step in the evolution of the of the brand. And um, we've seen other restaurateurs move their restaurant. Uh, into various places, and it gives a new lease of life and a new um, a new birth. And we were sort of inspired by um, by what some other people had done. And we also looked at other restaurants that had never moved, and they always just sort of stayed the same. And sort of a lot of them fizzled out and ended up closing. And we didn't want to be one of those. Um, and we felt like, um, you know, if we moved it, then we could, you know, give it a Give it a shake up and um, take it to um, the next level. And also, you know, there was a um, a site, obviously, which was you know wide open. And and you know, when you when you look at a restaurant, when you look at a, a relocating a restaurant or doing any kind of restaurant, it's always site specific. 
you always, you know, you get we get offered sites all the time, and you go and look at it, and you go, oh, okay, that might be a good bistro, or that might be an amazing fine dining restaurant, or you know, like when we went down to uh, Barangaroo, we we looked at it and thought, oh, okay, well, that's on the water. This this seafood would be the logical choice down here. So you always always um, driven and, and decision is uh, you know made um, by the site, and so. When we saw the site in the city, we thought, "Oh, that looks just like a wine bar." And it was like, "Well, we already have one. Why don't we just <laughs> why don't we move it?" And you know, we, we felt like we'd had it. There was there was a fair amount of goodwill towards Monopole. It had, it had done um, done its thing up in Potts Point for for many years. Has been really busy and um, had a really good following. And um, you know, to start a new brand, you know, it takes a lot of lot of effort. And we felt like we already had a had a brand. Which was ready made, so we um so that was the that was the thought process behind that. Well, many groups have um, iterations of the same restaurant, and you guys have five incredibly different establishments. Is is that something that you you um, planned or stick to? Do do is there ever a thought to replicate and have another Bentley or another Monopole? No, no, not at all. Um, they yeah they are. We we try and make them. As different as possible. Obviously, there's a common thread which you know goes throughout all of them, and then you know there's a DNA which um, I think people could probably tell. You know, with Brent's food or my wine list or you know the style of service, and you know obviously we have Pascal who does the interiors. So yeah, there there, there is you know there it is like a family, and <laughs> there are some similarities. Some you know um, some look a bit more like others, but um, yeah, they we try and make them all different. Uh, we wouldn't replicate any of them, um, with the exception potentially of Rhea. Uh, like Rhea is something which we thought, if um, if it went um, if went really well and um, it you know could establish itself as a as a sort of a brand and people would associate it with um, with really good pizza. We thought that that's something we could potentially um, you know do in other. Other areas, other um, other suburbs, and, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, not to say we're going to be like Domino's or, <laughs> or, or Crust like or anything like that. But just it's just something which we thought, um, if if anything, it could be um, it could be good. And also, um, you know, it's the first restaurant where we were doing takeout. Takeout. Uh, you know, obviously, Ria um, became a, a born in the in the middle of a pandemic as well. That and there was no. That was part of the reasoning as well. We thought, well, you know, if it, if it all um, turns to shit again and, you know, we're in lockdown, at least we've got a, a pizza restaurant which can pump out pizzas and do takeaway and, and potentially delivery. And, um, you know, that would um, definitely be very helpful in the, in the case of a lockdown. You and Brent Savage have created five incredible venues and been a major influence on our culinary landscape for the last two decades. What is it about you two working together? Can you take us back to where it all started and you knew that you guys could uh, work together and create something special? Um, yeah, I guess it was we, – we'd sort of uh, met while we are both working at Mark um, in Surrey Hills at the time and I was um, the sommelier there and um, Brent was uh, the head chef and, uh, you know, we um, – Along with Mark, we opened um, Moog, uh, which was really short-lived. That was up on Burke Street in Taylor Square. Um, Brent 
was down in Melbourne actually at the time. So Brent had been the head chef and he'd gone to work for Andrew McConnell uh, in Melbourne and Mark and I were uh, offered this um, tiny little space um, up in uh, Burke Street. So uh, we thought who could be the chef and we thought, well, Brent's like super talented. Um, Mark made the phone call. Next thing you know, Brent was um, the head chef there and – um, you know, it was one of those um, things where it didn't last long. It sort of lasted about six months. We had um, a landlord who was um, <laughs> it was not very um, accommodating, to say the least, uh, and 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 a pretty pretty poor agreement um, with him, and and it became all completely untenable uh, around about Christmas time, and. Uh, but but in that in that sort of six months, I think Brent had won uh, the first ever uh, Sydney Morning Herald Good Food Guide Chef of the Year, and I won the Sommelier of the Year, which was of course the first. Um, and I think the year was two thousand and five when we won that, and we um, well, you're the Chef of the Year, I'm the Sommelier of the Year, like, and now we don't have a restaurant, like, why don't we, why don't we open a restaurant? <laughs> and it was like, you know, it was one of those things like, yeah, what a great idea. So um, so we um, started looking around for sites. Um, Mark um, wasn't involved in the in any venture, uh, so it was just myself and Brent, and we, um, you know, kicked a lot of tyres, looked at a lot of sites, and we came... Um, across the Bentley, which is the old pub um, on Crown and Campbell Streets. And, um, yeah, we settled on that and, you know, the the, the rest is history. But in, to answer your question, I guess Brent and I had – we'd worked together, like, to a degree at, um, at, at those restaurants, but we never sort of, you know, owned a restaurant 50-50 um, before and – you know, we 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 didn't we didn't know we were gonna you know we we're gonna get along and and all this and that and we you know I guess it's something in our nature which is um, we're pretty similar um, similar kind of people goes with no nonsense and hardworking and you, you know we you, you know I have a lot of respect for him and he probably has the same for me and you know we respect each other's skill set and and and. Um, and yeah, no, we we just we sort of just generally get along, and we have a similar vision and a similar passion and drive, and um, you know that's I think um, we didn't know that was going to be the case, but it yeah, but it but it was, and it has been, and it's um, you know here we are, whatever, fifteen years on, and yeah, we've we went from a little forty seater, and now we've got yeah, we've got as you said, we've got five, so it's been a interesting journey to say the least. Well, the, the Bentley, when it was a hotel, was a renowned uh, watering hole that uh, opened till the wee hours. And um, it ended up being a two-hat restaurant um, and being far from uh, what it was previously. But what you guys were doing was really groundbreaking in Australia and, and eye-opening. And you guys um, really challenged not only the, um, gastronomy, but you introduced many diners to wines that they hadn't experienced before. Was it really challenging in those days getting sort of your ideas across to the diner? Oh, yeah, it was, I guess. You know, back in that um, era, um, you know, the, the the food was still pretty French 
and it was actually sort of it was more it was it was more um it was more franglish at that at that time you know the early early 2000s when when it was like or, or you know when bank was the big restaurant and um <clears throat> everything was sourced served with sauce grabiche or sauce vierge and it was it was really franglish and brent's uh food was sort of more um sort of starting to take on what was happening in spain and um um in, in france and it was it, you know it was you know i hate the word but it was it was molecular and it was it was groundbreaking and it was you know science meets food and and then on the wine list um i was introducing wines from you know spain and places of places in france like southwest france and loire valley and places that you know, never really got a run on any wine lists, and you know there was we we had crazy wines from Luxembourg and Hungary and um, and you know all over the world. And yes, for some people it was just all too much. So the, you know it's right out of their comfort zone, and um, yeah, they didn't um, didn't really get it or like it. Uh, but um, you know, for others it was you know a really exciting journey and. It was something that they'd never seen in um, in a restaurant before, and you know we, we were definitely pushing um, pushing really hard to be um, to be different. And but but we all, always had an underlying philosophy um, of no matter how challenging it is, or how weird it is, or you know how odd it is, it, is, it has to be the number one rule. It has to be has to be sort of delicious. It has to be, you know, something which you actually can enjoy. So, okay, so you might be getting this um, wine from Adelaide Hills, which has got no sulphur or, um, you know, it's unfiltered. It looks, you know, it looks looks absolutely awful in the glass, but you put it in your mouth and go, oh, wow, it's actually really flavoursome. And the same goes for for food, you know, um, some of the some of those dishes, those, those early combinations um, were like, what? the hell <laughs> is he thinking and you know you put it in your mouth and um it'd be wow it'd be, it'd be amazing there's um the um we were, we were laughing about one of the dishes the other other day which was in the bentley book it was it was kingfish and a sous vide in a in a bag with squid ink so on the outside it was black on the inside it was white and we served it with um perfume fruit which was like basically peach and 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 apple and that had been cooked in chamomile and then and then it had a smear of coconut puree and we were just laughing. It's like imagine you tried to serve that these days, you'd get you get laughed out of town. But that was one of the dishes, and it was like and it was really odd, and but it was one of the signature dishes, and and it, it was it was definitely odd. It was like a really odd combination, but. It, Bloody hell, it was delicious, and you know I, I probably would have served it with, you know, maybe a riesling from Luxembourg or, you know, something equally as weird, um, and, you know, on paper it was like a train wreck, but actually, it was in 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 the flesh of like people going, wow, that was like that was really cool, or really that was wow, how good was that? So, so I guess um you know that's been that's one of the rules I guess that we've we've always had to to um not to try and have any perceptions about anything just to you know take everything on and 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 um yeah and go from there so that's been part of the journey we're not as not as um adventurous as that anymore i wouldn't say but uh <laughs> but uh but that's okay you're uh, arguably the most awarded uh, sommelier restaurateur in the country it's hard, i'm hard pressed to think of someone who's received so much 
uh, acknowledgement. And it's because of the experience that you deliver, you really take that intimidation out of the situation, but you're also willing to try and grab someone's hand and walk them through a door that they haven't been through before. What, what is your approach approach with wine lists and serving wine? Uh, so, yeah, my number one rule um, from a wine list is to don't put shit wine on the wine list. And I tell that to all the – that's the number one rule for all the all the sums now, for all the restaurants that we have. It's like don't buy shit wine. If you buy shit wine and put it on the list, I'll sack you. <laughs> um so that's the number one rule. Um, uh, but like, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I have my own personal taste, and I, I, I sort of back it, and always have. And um, you know, that's for me. It doesn't particularly matter where a wine is made, who it's made by, how it was grown, if it was you know grown in biodynamic principles if it was made naturally if it wasn't made naturally if it, you know if, it's, if it's seen oak if it's seen it's been aged in air four if it's skin contact that you know it to me that that's not actually the most important thing about wine and the most important thing is actually what it tastes like the flavor um and if it actually has um as a story behind it, and um, if it is, um, if if a wine is, you know, you can you can sort of see where it's come from and who's made it, and, and that for me is the number one thing. And the wines that I've bought for the wine list have always reflected that. And you know, so we have we do have a broad range of styles and wines on all of the lists, and um, and we always have, and um, and you know, we sort of. Some people go, well, you, why do you have, you know, you have all this crazy natural stuff from the Jura, and but, but on the next page you'll have some Australian classic wine, and, and it's like, well, it's you know, it's for me, it's um, those, the, the, I enjoy both of those, the, the, those styles of wines, and 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 the wine lists um, always, you know, have an audience, and you, it's not just about. Um, about what I want to sell and what I want to drink, and um, it's about you know what we're actually serving to the to the customers and who the customers are. So you know all the all the lists are, are, are slightly different, but um, for for me it's um, it comes down to um, you know just having having interesting wines that um, that uh, you know tell a story and you know we like we also like to um, have wines that. Um, are pretty rare and nobody else really has um, and that is a that's definitely a been a thing of ours for many many years um, you know I, th- I think we were we I think we bought the, bought the first case of wine off Anton from Lucy Margot I think Andrew Gard were his first customer uh, and we, you know we built up those relationships over the years and um, and it's enabled us to buy some pretty pretty rare and special wines and and we for me I think that's a when you go to one of our restaurants, um, that's you sort of expect to see that on the wine list. You expect to see really great food, but also when you open a wine list, you expect to see something exciting. And we go, wow, look at that! They've got a you know, they got forty five wines from um, from Ganavat in on uh, you know, and like wow, they've got all these back vintages of, of crazy stuff. And and you know, like a lot of um, a lot of people come become pretty excited by that. And that's a that's a draw card. Um, to the restaurants, and it's definitely been one of our, um, you know, our plans, like business plan, really, to um, to get people in the doors. 
We speak to many chefs in the series and talk about how they got into food and a, a career as a sommelier is not something that perhaps the average 12-year-old might dream about. But when did when did it all start to interest you and you knew that you were going to have a career in hospitality? Um, when I was working um, at the Treasury Restaurant, which was at the Intercontinental with Tony Bilson, and he, um, you know, he was had this um, amazing fascination with wine and, and the wine list at that time there was like absolutely insane. It was, um, it was you know, the best wine in Australia and it was real wine culture at that restaurant. And we used to do regular tastings and we had, um, there, was a, um, there was a group of us um, all about my age and we were, you know, we're all into it and into tasting the wines. I think um, Andrew Gard was one of them. That's where we that's where we met each other, and that, and it all sort of stemmed um, from there. And then you know, once you, I found it fascinating that you know I'd learned a little bit about wine. I'd been working at this restaurant for a year, and um, I just realised how much I didn't know about it. I was like, wow, and there's, there's this, I know, I know a bit about it, but there's this, there's so much to know. And I, I thought to myself, isn't it cool that there's a thing it's called wine and no matter how much you know about it, you'll never know all there is to know about it. And I thought that's like, that's really cool, really fascinating. And, um, and, and so that was, that was basically it. I, was, I sort of had the, had the bug and I guess it must be a, a certain type of personality, um, that likes um, likes sort of researching, um, like stamp collecting, almost. I guess you know, it's like a. I, I've always always thought like Samelli is a, you know, maybe maybe slim. The, the most similar job would be like a DJ because they actually don't. We actually don't make anything ourselves. We're just like p- pulling things, putting things on for other people. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're like that's so amazing. Yeah. So that's what. That's what. That's how. Um. That's how. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. We. We sort of bit nerdy we're like you know djs obviously into music and like you know have a might have a um massive back collection of certain certain um certain things but you know we some others are into wine and might you know pull out a back back selection of jura or <laughs> on the run or something like that so I, that was that was it basically when i was i was um hooked there and then um after that went to browwater's inn i uh was the got the head som job up there when I was 23 years old? That was pretty scary. Didn't really know what I was doing, <laughs> but it was a but it was an experience, and it, you know it was something like a, a real challenge. And you know it was um, it was a it was a good opportunity. And then after that, I went um, overseas and spent a couple of years in London. And that was that. I think those two years in London was when I really um, realized that. Um, this is like a career I could do something in, uh, because you know Australia was, uh, you know, you got you got some pretty cool wines in Australia. But then, the two years in London, I got exposed um, to everything. You know, London doesn't really grow, or England doesn't really grow any wine. So like everything over, it's it's everything is on the table. So you you got wines from all over the world coming in. You've got you got all the you know the traditional French and Italian and Spanish, but then you got wine, all wines from all over Europe, USA, South America, and it was you really opened my eyes to a lot of things. So I guess that probably probably shaped my my taste in wine. For when I came back to Australia, I was like like all these wines that I'd taste in London 
were not available in Australia, and I was like, you know, what a shame. And then, um, and then people started to bring them in, and like I jumped on it straight away, and and um, you know, then that the rest is history. You, you know, you all of a sudden Australian wine lists became very international. Probably back in, probably back back in like the year two thousand ten, it was like you probably would go into a restaurant. Most restaurants wine lists would be you know sixty percent imported <laughs> uh, which you know probably didn't go down very well with a lot of um a lot of Australian winemakers but that was just that was how it was um so so yeah it's been um yeah interesting you've built five pretty incredible restaurants that set just about the highest standard that you can what's the challenges in building a group of that ilk and, and what's important to you to getting those restaurants right oh there's so many challenges um yeah, I mean, getting from the get go, getting the concept right, and then you know, getting it open to you know, opening a restaurant is just absolutely insane. The amount of um, energy and um, blood, sweat, and tears, and yeah, emotion that goes into it is is incredible. Then, then you have to then that's the easy part. <laughs> then you then you've got the customers and the staff and all that. So, so getting that getting the getting the right concept is. Um, is always um, always right, and, and you know you don't always get the right concept. Um, but, you know, prime example is is yellow. When we opened yellow, we opened that as a we thought it would be a, a sort of a, just a you know a really na- casual neighbourhood bistro, and um, it was good. It was it was going well, but then you know we saw a massive opportunity, and we saw a um, a rise in in vegetarians and vegans, and you know we flicked it to one hundred percent. Um, vegetarian and you know a lot of people thought we were mad and but it was you know probably one of the best things we've ever done and um, you know it's probably our busiest restaurant now and um, you know so so it's you, sometimes you might not always get the concept right you might not actually get the offering 100% correct so you have to be uh, able to um, accept you know that you've made mistakes and 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 to and to change things and to um to you know put things in a in a different direction um so that's you know that's that's one of the things and and i guess in this day and age it's yeah it's all about staff and especially when you get to a um you, you have a group of restaurants there's five restaurants you know there's it's just physically impossible to be at all restaurants at all times so now it's about um you know, mentoring our staff and developing them and making um, making them uh, become, you know, our representatives because basically they're representing us and, um, you know what I mean? It's, so it's, uh, it's um, that's, that's, that's the challenge at the moment. And, uh, um, but, but we're getting better at that and we've got some great staff and we've, you know, we've got a, got a lot of staff who have stuck with us for the last 12 months, which has been incredible. Um, and you know that's definitely helped. And now we're about um, grow, growing these people and developing these people to be um, to be the face of the restaurants. Um, that's that's probably the key to it um, at the moment. And and you know and then there's all the there's everything else which goes 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 with it as well. Like there's you know we we spend a lot of time. Um, with the accounts section and marketing and um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's um, there's a lot behind the scenes. If you if you 
didn't own a restaurant, yeah, the the behind the scenes um, part is is um, is really really probably just as important as what you see on the table. The last year has been arguably the most challenging in the industry. Has it, has it changed you and the way that you run your restaurants? Oh, definitely. Yeah, hundred percent. It. Um, you know, we all went into lockdown, and we 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 thought, okay, what are we going to do to like change the way we run the restaurants in each each individual restaurant? We we sort of sat down and we pulled it pulled it all apart, and we looked at the pros and the cons of each restaurant, and we sort of you know we, we sort of changed the direction of, of them slightly. Obviously, Monopole, we completely moved and, and we opened a pizza restaurant as well. But at Yellow, uh, we um, we made it tasty menu only. Um, we, we really wanted it to be the best um, vegetarian restaurant in Australia. And we felt like um, the audience was was there. We had a big enough demand to go to go deg only. And um, so we did that. And, and, you know, we made slight tweaks at, at all the restaurants um seriously we went to an entire share menu we've just made it a little bit more relaxed um and you know we we felt like it was pretty price sensitive as well so we sort of we sort of came back into the middle market for that for that we didn't want it we felt like where we were going it was get, it was getting a bit expensive and you know we, we thought well you know we're going through a pandemic you know, at the moment, at at the time, the whole economy had dipped into recession. So we, we, yeah, we, and we kept on going about, um, going on about one word, and it was relevance, and it was all about, it was, it was just relevance. Everything has to be relevant, um, and all the restaurants have to have a relevance, and uh, and so, and so that's that was like the key word that we kept on talking about throughout the whole of of last year, and we we tried to. In our minds, we've, we've you know pushed and steered each restaurant into into that you know to become relevant um, because the minute you become irrelevant, you, you you're dead. Um, and um, you know a lot of restaurants that happens to them and like you know they're just completely irrelevant. They, they there's you know they'll they'll be there's always going to be new restaurants and there's always going to be competition. And if you don't um, if you don't change and if you don't um, adapt to the market then then you're dead so um so yeah that was that was last year and yeah yeah everything everything sort of changed and um yeah here we are your uh influence and brand's influence uh is immeasurable uh over the last couple of decades and you've got the challenges of running five restaurants and potentially more down the track um, but what is it that you love about uh, the industry and what you do? Oh, I love. Um, yeah, I mean, it's um, the industry is great. It's um, you know we surround ourselves with um, with so many different people, um, whether it be staff or customers. Um, you know, it's a ever changing ever changing industry. As I mentioned before, it's like with the wine aspect of things. You're always learning. You're always tasting. Um, you know, you're never really sitting still. Um, you know, it has its moments, but for me, um, yeah, the, the the people side of thing is great. You know, we sir, Brent and I surround ourselves with most of our staff. The average age is probably 25, 26 or something like that. You know, it's like <laughs> we make ourselves feel young. You know, it's, um, yeah, yeah, it's um, 
yeah, you see a lot of, and then and then when you're in the restaurants, you know, you, you meet a lot of people, like regulars, you know, you, or you know, amount of amount of fascinating people who um, come in into your life and into your into your restaurants, and yeah, that's for me, that's the the most um, satisfying and enjoyable part of it. It's um, you know, we we have obviously a service, and we give people an experience, and and um, you know, that's it, it. We get a lot of fulfillment um, and enjoyment out, out of um, out of giving people, um, you know, a, a, a good time. You know, there's nothing more satisfying when, when you have a table coming to your restaurant and you, you know, you blow them away and you give them this amazing meal and you know, you give them a wine that they have never had and you know, it's, it's, um, it's very rewarding. You mentioned a little earlier that it's uh, really quite starting to get quite busy in the CBD, which is really great to hear. And what, what's it feel like at the moment? Do you feel like there's a good momentum? For, for a good year moving forward um, with the industry? I feel like there is, uh, but, you know, I'm not – I wouldn't put all my eggs in, in on basket at the moment. It, we've sort of – we've sort of – yeah, every every time this sort of happens, we get bitten, bitten on the – bitten by the virus. So, uh, you know, like with, uh, when we first came out of lockdown, it was, it was really, it was quite good. It was busy again. And then, you know, there was, there was every time there's a, like a cluster or, you know, a virus pops up, it's just devastation. It's like, this is cancellation and everyone goes back into, back into, into the, into their shell. And, you know, it's been up and down, stop, start the whole year. Um, Having said that I think, um, you know, I'm really hopeful that the worst of it is over. I'm hope, hopeful that the vaccine actually works, and you know, everyone goes and gets vaccinated, and and you know, we pretty much stamp it out. Um, and if I think if that's the case, then yeah, I I, I don't see why there won't be um, you know people back at work and. Um, you know we, why we won't have a good year. Um, obviously, the job keeper thing worries us a little bit because um, everyone's probably going to have all their entitlements pulled from under them uh, end of March, and so where that leaves uh, businesses and people's discretionary spend will be um, interesting. Time will tell. Um, so that could have an effect. Um, uh, so yeah, but I feel like there's momentum at the moment, uh, definitely. And um, you know, if if we can keep on going in this sort of um, trajectory, then um, then we'll be in for in for a good year. We've, I've even heard um, people talking about how they think there'll be a boom this year. Could be an absolute boom, um, which um, which I don't necessarily entirely agree with <laughs> but uh but uh um but uh, yeah yeah it's 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 a it's a it's a really hard one to predict and it's been like the whole the whole of the last 12 months has been really hard to predict as well um so you just got to roll with punches and um you know and take it you know it's been day by day week by week really and that's sort of how we are at the moment um but you know, you, we sort of we plan for the best and expect you know don't expect the worst, but you know expect the unexpected, I guess. Uh, well, Nick, um, it's been amazing to catch up with you, and we're honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds. Um, please keep in touch, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Cool. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, and um, yeah, I look forward to seeing you in Sydney at some point. <laughs> this is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. 
I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.